Welcome back to Nate the Hate. You are listening to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Be sure to like the video and subscribe. And joining me today is my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. What's going on, Nate? Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to have you on. And joining us today is Matt Phillips, who has credits to his name at Traveler's Tales and Crytek. Thank you for joining us today, Matt. How's it going? Thanks for having me. It is an honor to have you join us today. And... How about you tell the listeners a little about yourself and your background in the game industry? Yeah, no problem. Um, so I've been gaming since a very young age. Uh, grew up with uh, things like the Commodore 64, uh, Sega Mega Drive, things like that. Um, I went to university in Salford here in the UK. Um, graduated with a degree in computer and video games development. Um, I worked for a small studio over here. Um, before moving to Traveller's Tales, uh, TT Games, um, where I did um, various engine technologies, audio, um, automated test system, things like that. Um, and I worked on 13 LEGO games, I think. Um, quite a big handful, um, as well as one movie, because uh, we used the engine tech to, to render a film. Um, after that, I moved on to Crytek. Um where I worked on Homefront the Revolution um, and a port of Time Splitters 2 to uh, PS4 and Xbox One, uh, which was hidden inside Homefront. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I did my Kickstarter for Tanglewood, um, which is a, a new game for the Sega Mega Drive Genesis, um, which was a platformer made using original Sega development kits, um, something I wanted to do since I was a kid. Uh, so that's big big life dream achieved there um after that i delved about in various smaller studios um did a lot of contract work uh, and finally moved on to double eleven um which started out as a porting house i worked on ports such as goat simulator um songbringer um couple of other smaller titles um more lego games again which was great to revisit um, I'm currently working on Rust console. Um, so that's my career. Sounds like it's uh, very illustrious and, and um, a, a very good one. I have to ask you, though, as, as someone who's a big Mega Drive fan myself, and I know you're a big fan of 68,000 assembly language, what, what made you decide to build a or write a Mega Drive game in this in this day and age, given the fact that you know, development kits and, and all that stuff are very, very out of date as compared to what we're used to these days. I guess it was um, trying to achieve my uh, lifelong dream. Um, I think I had a Mega Drive since I was about nine years old, um, as well as a C64, um, an Amstrad PC where I learned to program. And I think the two loves combined from a very young age. Um, so I'd always wanted to do games development. And because I had the Mega Drive at the time, I wanted to do games development for the Mega Drive. And I guess that dream never really died. Um, during my teens, I tried to revisit it. I tried learning 68,000 assembly on a uh, Atari ST. Uh, it didn't go very well. Um, <laughs> but the, the dream never really died. And I think in my, in my mid-20s, I gave it another shot. Um, and finally, things started to stick. So um, I, I took it from there, really. So tell us about your time at, at Travelers as far as the LEGO game. You said you, you, said you built 13 LEGO yep. games. So what were, your, what were your roles in those games? Did, did it kind of 
you know, start out as I'll say a, a, a middle level and then kind of towards the end you were kind of a senior. You, were you developing the whole time or were you getting more into the the engine side or maybe the architect side? What was what was kind of your, your roles with those games? It was uh, mostly engine start to finish. I started out as a junior programmer there. Yep. Um, I uh, redesigned the audio engine. Um re-implemented that for all the console at the time. There was quite a few of them. Um, Wii, PS3, PS4, 360, Xbox One. Um, I, I think at the time we were dabbling with the Vita, um, PC, Mac. Um, for a junior coder to take on a, a cross-platform audio system, all those systems at the time, in hindsight, was probably a really stupid idea. But, uh, <laughs> Um, I kind of like being thrown in the deep end. It's one of the ways I learn. Um, so moving on from there, I did other bits of engine work. Um, I dabbled a little bit in rendering. I wasn't very good at rendering. Um, I tried things like the particle and visual effects, visual effects system. Uh, revamped some of those, um, especially for some of the um, animation and film stuff they were doing as well, because uh, they reused the game tools for for that area. Um, did a lot of um, tools there, a little bit of level editor work, um, there's target manager work, and mm-hmm. there's a way of remotely connecting to dev kits and deploying bills to them, things like that. Um, and a lot of auto test work on top. Uh, so we had a continuous integration system that would fire up the game on dev kits every time you made a commit. Um, and run various tests on it, collect frame rates, things like that, all completely autonomously. Um, that was, I th- think, everything I did there. When you kind of stepped away from Travelers and then went into, uh, you, you said you went, you moved to uh, Crytek for a, for a while, and you worked on on some games there. What was what was your kind of your position there? Was it still kind of in in the engine development side of the house, or were you uh, doing other things? Um, I was hired as a gameplay programmer, right. um, but uh, since my, my interests are mostly in engine, um, I kept trying to, to move towards the end, um, and I think eventually I ended up as some kind of bridge between the engine and game team. Got it. Um, so I'd work on sort of, um, hesitate to use the word middleware, but that's probably what it was called. Yeah. Uh, things like the level loading systems and entity mm-hmm. systems, um, save games, serialization, a little bit of networking stuff, so stuff that wasn't strictly cry engine, but wasn't strictly home front either. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the bridge between the middle. Um, I was quite happy there. Um, that was quite a quite a nice role that one. What ended up happening uh, with with Crytek, as far as you kind of stepping away, and then and I don't know if there was something else between Tanglewood and Crytek, but was there something else in the middle, or did you kind of step away and, and decided that you would you would kind of branch out and, and build your own game the um, studio Crytek UK became um, Dambuster Studios uh, bought out by Deep Silver oh right right um, I'm with you so yeah. we continued to the end of Homefront um, under that name um, and then they started um, uh, a new project under another franchise I'm not sure I'm allowed to say the name um, but that was an Unreal 4 project. Um, so I did a little bit of... Because um, we had the Unreal 4 license, I got to do Unreal Engine work. And during that time, I was also uh, getting Tanglewood pretty much ready to uh, to demo to the public. So you were working on Tanglewood kind of on the side as, as, the, as the fun side project 
while you were still working there and then at some point you you had something ready to show for tanglewood and that's when you launched the kickstarter yeah um, i pretty much developed tanglewood on my uh, commute to and from crytek uh, <laughs> cool. an hour and a half train journey oh each wow way, so. so you just had your laptop with a 68000 assembler on there or something uh yeah it was notepad plus plus and assembler yeah um, as soon as I got home, I'd fire up the dev kit and check everything worked. So but mostly it was it was coding blind because there weren't a lot of debuggers available with the uh, yeah. um, emulator at the time. Um, those that did exist were quite primitive. They were quite annoying to use. So um, mostly developed on the train, that one, um, uh, with no internet access as well. So it was a kind of a concentrated pocket of work with no distractions for an hour and a half a day. Um, wow. It was actually quite a good organization tool, to be honest. <laughs> That's um, awesome. I, I do, I do that again. Uh, I just had my hood up, laptop open, tapping away for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so we we got you on to talk a, a, about crunch, um, and one of the reasons why I, I was really interested to to get you on, Matt, was you tweeted out recently that I don't have the the actual tweet in front of me, but it was along the lines of that you know the development of tanglewood was almost or well, was very difficult for you and it said that uh you, you mentioned that it, had, it, it was so bad that that it had almost killed you is that something that you know you want to get into um with us and, and let, let us know what you had endured what you went through um to get that game finally out the door yeah sure um i guess there's a big difference between crunch that's imposed on you and um crunch that you cause yourself um so that was very much the latter it was mostly because i was doing so much of the game on my own um i had people helping out with the artwork uh audio lots of uh, actual development work but nothing on the lines of project management organization uh marketing publishing that that was entirely down to me alone um and that was just so much to take on because I was writing the engine for the game um, in an alien language I'd never learned before. Writing all the tools myself, because the tools for Mega Drive obviously didn't exist anymore. Um, on top of that, I had to write the debugger, um, because trying to work on the train was, was turning out to be a pain. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as designing the game, I was doing a lot of the level design work. Um uh, writing most of the story, um, integrating everything, put it all together. Um, lots of other little tools like scripts for assemblers and stuff like that, continuous integration. Um, and that's just the development side. On top of that, I had all the um, publishing and marketing stuff to do, trying to contact news outlets, uh, running the Kickstarter, talking to the backers. Um there was the manufacturer side, trying to track down the factory for the cartridges, the PCBs, um, trying to chase down chips and chip programmers, trying to learn how to use all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once the, the thing was complete, I had to hand solder over a thousand cartridges. So add all that up and, and you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wasn't very good at calling out for help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of thought, you know, that this is my project. This this is the a pain I've imposed on myself. I'm I'm not going to bring somebody else into this. It would be very unfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in hindsight, I really should have done. Um, there were probably people I could have spoken to about this. Um, at the time, you don't think it's happening. Um, you don't really recognize the signs. Um, I was waking up eight o'clock in the morning, going to bed after midnight, um, and. Once I'd finished my work at Crytek and started doing this full time, that was all I was doing. 
Yeah. Um, and because I had I had my my Trello task management software up on a second monitor all the time, um, all the work was compartmentalized into little pockets of one hour, two hour jobs. I could plan my day out like that from 8am to midnight um, and it felt good ticking those off. So I, I dragged one off the uh, to-do pile, put it in the current pile, implement that feature and then drag to the done pile. It was a kind of euphoria being able to drag things over to the done pile. So so yeah, the, the whole thing kind of got on top of me uh, yeah. without even realizing wow. it. Right, so it's basically you were, you were a one-man show on this and, and you, you took you basically wore every single hat there was to write ship and manufacture a game and get out the door and 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 all the the marketing side as well it it seems it seems very it seems very very uh unbelievable to to hear you say that i mean um how long did the development of tanglewood kind of take from you know from inception to i'll say getting cartridges out to to the backers i think in total probably since i started getting uh familiar with mega drive uh, probably as soon as i had something on screen i started trying to devise a game yeah um so you could probably call that six or seven years oh wow um, but it didn't go full at development over that it was kind of tinkering for a while right doing little <laughs> bits in my spare time um i only really started taking it seriously um when i was gearing up for the kickstarter so I think I was working like that in that crunch mode for around two to three years. Wow. So when you were at Crytek and you were building Tanglewood at the same time, was there any crunch going on at Crytek as well that was just, I'll say, compounding the, the crunch that you already had with Tanglewood, if that makes any sense? No. Um, I think Crytek's approach to crunch was one of the uh, um, most sensible I've seen. Um, to choose my words carefully, um, Crytek UK uh, especially. Um, I, I'm not sure about the German office. I couldn't say. Right. Um, but they, um, the managers there were very good. They they fully acknowledged that crunch was a management failure. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't it wasn't anything to do with the the performance of their employees. It, it was it was top down. Um, and they made sure it was done very sparingly. Um, I don't think I ever did more than two weeks of overtime in a row there. Um, so yeah, no, I it had very small pockets of crunch, but not not intense like you know three months to six months like some other places. That's actually a refreshing thing to hear because when we do hear about crunch, the management never seems to actually take responsibility. And as you just said, Crytek UK knew it was from the upper level it was the management who either just mismanaged expectations or time and they were able to look at that and acknowledge it as their own failure and didn't blame the team so that's actually a really refreshing statement to hear management take responsibility for their failure and not blame the developers and the programmers for falling behind or you know just not delivering on the milestones of what management had set for expectation so that's actually really nice to hear that Crytek UK is approaching crunch with some sensible approach because we have heard so many horror stories of how bigger publishers and bigger developers treat the employees as basically you know second class citizens where it's oh you failed quit your job we'll replace you because we're big we're powerful you don't have a say in this and it really sounds like Crytek UK kind of took that to heart and 
were able to just say, we failed you. We are going to have to have some of that crunch time, as you acknowledge, like maybe the two weeks, but it was never to a point of you guys are working months straight, mandated over time until we hit a designated spot that we're happy with. What are your thoughts about the root cause of what crunch is? Do you think it's squarely a management issue or do you think, um, you know, it's more complicated than, than just kind of, you know, putting it on, on kind of the, the upper echelon of, of, of staff there? wherever that may be. There's 101 quarters. I mean, game development is a, a very complex beast. Uh, it, I guess it also depends on the uh, motives of upper management as well. Um, I've seen crunch being used as a tool in the box to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's premeditated sometimes. It's used as a project management tool. Um, they will plan out a timeline um, of milestones, and the last three milestones will involve crunch right from the get-go. Uh, two years before they even think they need crunch. Um, So sometimes it can be a little bit insidious like that. Um, Again, money talks, and somebody will have run the mass and figured out it's cheaper to do this than not. Um, That's when you're getting into the the big scary world of uh, shareholders and board meetings and things like that, dictating how the company operates, maybe even publishers, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than the studios themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it it is fair to say that crunch is a management uh, or project management problem. That doesn't necessarily mean it was the uh, um, fault of the project managers themselves. They might have had people breathing down their necks from up high um, Mm -hmm. with dollar signs in their eyes doing this. What about if Um, it was, um, I'll say, just a a poor estimation of scope? Does that still fall on, on project management? I guess it would because they're the ones that are responsible for you know calling that stuff out right so if you've got if you've got a you know your lead developer is is estimating the amount of time something's going to take and he then they communicate that to project management but then you know there's i guess there's that scope is is not really accurate as far as timing project management still is the one that has to you know keep up to date on 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 tracking those things so i guess you know yeah I, I'm probably answering my own question, but it, it it still seems like it all falls back to management at the end of the day. Would you agree? Um, yeah, scope scope's a big problem. Yeah, um, feature creep um, is probably one of the uh, big killers of a project. It can it can make or break a project. Um, when the when things start coming together, when you've got the main game mechanics working and everybody's having fun with the game, ideas suddenly start flowing again. And some of the, some of those ideas uh, you probably couldn't ignore. They would improve the game so much, so considerably that you have to start taking them seriously. Um, and that changes your schedule. It changes your budget. It changes the team. Um, and if the people at a higher level aren't willing to budge uh, for that, um, that, that probably ends up in some sort of crunch whether it's company-wide or one and two employees with the idea who want to get it in, do that. Um, so that, that that's both a mixture of project management problem, um, feature creep not being shoved aside, um, and the employees themselves wanting to put in the extra time to, to add extra features and just making more work for themselves. Um, so yeah, like I said, there's 101 causes of crunch and they span company-wide. Um, usually top heavy, but not always. 
One thing that we've seen, especially in recent weeks with the talk around CD Projekt Red and Cyberpunk 2077, is that they had the internal memo come out saying we're going to crunch for the next six weeks. And that kind of sparked a debate amongst the gaming community where you had those say this should have been avoided. This was a game that had been delayed in April where CD Projekt Red had come out and said, oh, we're delaying it. We just have to polish the game up. We're going to hit the November release date, no problem. And then we hit October and they say we're crunching for the next six weeks. And it was something to the effect of, what was it? It was one, it, they have to work Saturday. I believe it was one more work day for yep. the next six weeks. And that led people to saying, well, in my nine to five job, I have to work overtime. So that makes crunch in their view, no big deal. What would you say to the individual who would claim that some developers want to work crunch? It really falls back to the individual because you're right. There, there's probably some 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 folks that work at CD Projekt Red Nate that that probably want some extra money. You know, they they welcome it. But there's there's also the person that has you know he wants he or she wants to spend family time you know on Saturdays with with their with um, with their kids, and all of a sudden that's been taken away from them. And those people must be feeling absolutely horrible right now. You know. It, almost to the yeah. point where they're wondering, well, is this really the place I want to continue to work at? Because those types of things, you know, really make you wonder, you know, this is just a job at the end of the day. Is this, is this what's, what's the best for me at, the, at this time? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomised genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that owl has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. Yeah, and and that's where crunch becomes this really complex matter. Even though I mean, we know it's a complex matter. Is that you do have some like we'll call them workaholics who don't see the problem with crunch because you know they want to they want to work. They want to, they have the passion for the project. They want to work. But what they may not see is that by being that workaholic who wants to work and wants to do all this crunch, that they may be indirectly peer pressuring their coworkers into also working crunch. And because I, as the employee who loves to work, just because I want to work, I may not see that I am peer pressuring like I'll use you as the example, MVG, you into maybe sacrificing your marriage or time with your kids or your family or even your mental health. I mean, are these factors, like is peer pressure a factor that could be at play for crunch at a studio when you see employees saying, I want to work and others are saying, I fear to speak out that I don't want to do this crunch because you might have in the back of your mind, they'll replace me. Yeah. I think the interesting part, um, about the city of project red issue was that the email that Adam Badowski sent to employees that, that Jason Shirai had, had tweeted out it, he was basically, you know, talking to the partners, you know, that 
the wives, the girlfriends, the husbands, you know, of, of the employees kind of telling them just hold on, you know, a little longer. We're almost there. And I've, I've never seen that before. I mean, usually if in the past, you know, I've had to work a weekend or work overtime, you know, I'm texting my wife saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be home late or I got to go in on Saturday. It's, I thought that was very, very interesting that they were essentially just talking directly to the partners of the people, you know, and I think that was, it shows you how, how different things are at, at different companies. I mean, for me, I've, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And I mean, the CD Projekt Red situation, I think became such a big deal this time around is because earlier in the year, CD Projekt Red had come out and said that they are no longer going to mandate crunch. They weren't going to have mandatory crunch. And all of a sudden it's, well, they are mandating crunch. And then CD Projekt Red, they admit it in the mem memo that they are mandating crunch. And people still came to the defense of the developer saying, it's not that big of a deal. And it's weird to see the fans of a game or the gaming community defend the company over the employees. Mm -hmm. like, like the company's, the company doesn't care about you. The company's priority should be the health and well-being of the employees. Correct. And I mean, I, I know it's easy to say that and some people will even disagree with that. But if I work for the company and you come out and say, we are no longer going to mandate crunch. And six months later, you start to mandate crunch. And, you know, you can come out and say, well, you're going to get a 10% bonus based on overall revenue the game makes. Great. I'm going to get financial compensation. But at the same time, I've lost time. I've lost time with my family. I could have done harm to my body in a physical way from, you know, sitting at the desk. I can suffer from mental health issues. Those aren't things that money is going to get back to me. So there's a lot to weigh here. It's not as simple as some people make it out to be of just, well, you're getting paid for it. I work overtime at my job. What's the big deal? The big deal is why is crunch a thing to begin with? Mm -hmm. And we've touched on it a bit earlier where it does seem to come from management, but sometimes it comes from beyond them. It can come from shareholders. It can come from the publisher who is forcing the studio to, you know, finish the project at this time because we promised our shareholders a major release for this fiscal quarter and we're not delaying it because we want to have that earnings report. We want that revenue. Yeah. And it trickles down so far that is there really a way to eliminate crunch without having to shift the industry into unionized developers um I, I think the only way you can really address something like that is to uh stop people at the top enjoying collecting money so much i mean it's it's a sign <laughs> of the uh uh choose my words carefully capitalist hellhole we'll live in <laughs> um that, that that might explain some of the um uh, the weird behavior of um gamers defending the the corporation over the uh, the employees themselves um I, I think our particular breed of capitalism has um helped to instill that into uh gamers into consumers mm -hmm. um uh, into uh, being on their side over everything else um like uh, loyalty to brands loyalty to corporations it's a really strange thing um, I'm, I'm not really fully qualified to talk about that side of it, but uh, 
those are my my initial thoughts anyway no i i i know what you're saying well, i think i understand what you're saying you know especially in this day and age and i know someone in the comments is going to have a go at me at this but you've got influencers out there that that are working with these companies and they're promoting promoting the next game you know you've got the um the social media managers that are, are sending you know things like merchandise and stuff to to people i mean if you're a games developer or a games publisher and you want to get a lot of people on your side that's that's how you do it you know you you get them on board with, with everything and 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 that's the way it is and and when you hear stories about the developers spending 12 to 18 hours a day developing and then having to come in on weekends questions get asked and and stories get that get published in in websites but a lot of the times you know you'll hear about it for a few days and then nothing will ever get resolved you know there'll be a, a statement that's made by the company and they'll say you know we messed up we'll do better you know that that's that's our bad um but it seems like it's just a a thing that just continues to 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 go on and i i do wonder if we'll ever see the end of crunch in in video games you know um you mentioned capitalism and and people at the top and nate you mentioned unionization i mean i think both of those things uh, are, are definitely things you know to consider going forward but i i wonder especially now that you know it seems like the cost of making games is just increasing as time goes by. More people are being utilized to, to build games. Everything is just increasing in scope and size and budget. I just can't see this problem going away anytime. I think the best thing that, that can happen at, at this point, other than unionization, is to just keep calling it out. I mean, I think I think that's, that's what we have to do, you know? Yeah, I think it needs uh, continuous calling out. Yeah. Um, I think companies that do this insidiously and think they're trying to get away with it are relying on uh, people's ability to forget a couple of days down the line. Yeah, Everything moves so fast these days. Uh, a big piece of news about a studio doing something unruly comes out. Um, give it a day or two, it'll be down the bottom of the news pages. No one, no one, remembers, yester no one remembers yesterday's news, especially on Twitter, you know? Like yeah. it's it's just the way it is, and it's 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 very it's very unfortunate, especially when you are talking about people's lives and their livelihoods and their mental health and their well being. It's it's very very sad, and that's that's the scary thing, because we see influencers. I have no problem with influencers as a whole, but I have a problem when the influencers become an extended arm of the marketing branch for a publisher, and what happens is is you see them get paid they are given a check to market the game and in that marketing sometimes they are sent product and then all of a sudden something like cd project red situation comes up where they come out and said yeah we're going to mandate crunch even though we told you this would never happen and these influencers come to the defense of the company and they say oh well i'm still being objective no you're not being objective we know you've already made marketing deals with this company, so you're going to come out and defend the company over the well-being of the employees. And that's wrong. And if you want to be the influencer, you want to take the check, you want to take the advertising deal for the company, then by all means do so. But then eliminate your need 
or your opportunity to give opinion on the topic matter. Because at that point, you are just a member of their PR team. Mm -hmm. And when we see the brands post memes and stuff on Twitter, people are like, oh, look, they're trying to connect with us. They're a business. They're not trying to connect with you. Burger King just put out the PS5 ad. It doesn't make <laughs> Burger King hip with the gaming community. It's a marketing deal. Yeah. Don't reward Burger King for bad business practices. Don't reward any developer for bad business practice because they published a funny picture on Twitter or social media because all they're trying to do is get your attention to make money. And you're going to see these bigger companies use influencers in their social media accounts to make you forget everything that's happening. Mm. Like, CD Projekt Red's crunch story is now, what, maybe 10 days old? Yeah. And there's some who are still talking about it, but many have forgotten. It's completely back in the void, and people are looking forward to the next round of preview footage and written previews. And if you come out and you speak out against these companies, be it Naughty Dog, CD Projekt Red, any publisher or developer who is utilizing crunch in an insidious manner, all of a sudden, people start accusing you of having an agenda. And that's exactly what happened with Jason Schreier. He publishes his article on Bloomberg, where he has the memo, and people said, well, you're just pushing your agenda of you know, anti-crunch and anti-capitalism. What exactly is his agenda? Because every time someone asked, what agenda is he pushing? Those who fought against Jason never had a reply. Mm-hmm. And that's what's dangerous, is that you can't even come out and critique a company for having bad business practices without somebody coming out and attacking you saying, well, that's because you're pushing some sort of agenda. My agenda is I want fair work, you know, a, a nice work environment for the developers, for all the employees where they don't have to come into work and be told you're working overtime for the next month. How, how is this a bad thing? How did we get to this point where we're going to defend a multi-million or billion-dollar organization over the well-being of thousands of employees? Uh, I think it's just really odd that uh, things like the word agenda become dirty words somehow. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, like you said, you're just pull it, pushing your agenda. Um, <laughs> if my agenda <laughs> is to get rid of crunch and uh, make things... Um, a little more equal for all the employees and yes yes i'm pushing my agenda what's your problem right what like, yeah. making? like push that agenda let's make things better <laughs> and said so people view it as oh you just hate this company no i don't hate the company i hate the way it's treating the employees why is that a bad thing and those who fight against you will never have a response to that it's just oh you're just pushing an agenda okay yeah i'm trying to make things better sorry like sorry i'm not just going to go with the status quo of oh crunches in the industry and i've seen a lot of it is this dismissive attitude where people say well it's the status quo it's standard in the industry that doesn't make it right yeah and it it seems like you know 10 years ago when it it took one third of the time to to write a game you know the crunch crunch was always there but it maybe wasn't as bad as, as it is now when it takes you know literally five years to to build a game these days and the the level of crunch on on a five-year game is a lot more significant than, than it is over a game that took 
say 18 months to two years to build you know it's it's always been there it's just like i said as everything is just getting larger and larger and scopes are getting larger and larger the crunch is getting larger and larger and that's just that's just the way things are right now and it's very unfortunate now i'll position this question to matt you did talk about how crytech uk had approached crunch and as you said they approach it in a sensible manner outside from like your own personal crunch that you admittedly put on yourself at tanglewood have you faced any of the like insidious crunch where it was just over an extended period of time of months to the point where you would probably be able to say like this is to the point of the pressure is becoming insurmountable and it's almost breaking it's almost breaking you down um yes i certainly have um yeah, well quick disclaimer no, none of this pertains to the company i currently work for um <laughs> but they're attitude towards crunch is, is also rather healthy. I'm, I'm quite happy where I am. Um, the worst one I worked for had a, an entire crunch culture um, to the point where they created systems for it, like you have key card entry to the building that records your time um, and a, a clock on the intranet page to show how many hours you've done that day. Um, and cashing it out as um, money in your next paycheck or as holiday was as simple as pressing a few buttons on an internet page. The, ho the whole thing was automated um, and designed so that doing overtime was easy, um, which added to the whole whole crunch culture of it. Um, you know, we, we've designed these systems to let you do overtime. Why aren't you doing overtime? Um, look at everybody else doing overtime. We've got the stats here on a sheet. Look at them. That, that sort of thing. Um, wow. That that's probably one of the the worst examples worst examples I've personally seen. Uh, I I remember one particular moment where one of the uh, directors of the company came running after me at the train station because I dared to clock out at five o'clock that day. Jeez. Wow. I, I remember <laughs> that very. Did you tell him? I won't, I won't. Did you tell him to piss off? Yeah. <laughs> no, I probably should have done. I was, I was a bit, uh, bit gobsmacked, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I bet. That's, that's I mean, that's terrible because it sounds like they basically they would guilt employees into it, saying, "Well, look, um, Steve worked fifteen hours of overtime this week. How come you only did two? Yeah, like, okay, I'll work more." Um, I know there are certain rules to say that things like that aren't supposed to come up in your performance reviews. Um, they're not supposed to be used as leverage for um, bonuses and promotions and things like that. Um, but when the same people who are uh, making the decisions for bonuses and promotions also have access to that data, whether they say they do or they don't, um, there's probably nothing actually stopping them taking that data into account. Uh, when they're talking promotions that was wow. another thing that was always at the back of my mind at the company is like i'm i haven't been doing as much overtime as somebody else and the uh, promotion decisions are coming up is is that going to affect their decision and you never know you never know um, if you think it's happening you can never prove it mm -hmm. um it's, it's just it's just at the back of my mind constantly um and that was one of the factors that pushed me to do more crunch were you um i'll say less experienced at the time matt you kind of as far as when you when this was happening, was this kind of earlier on in your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I 
would not do that again. I could probably recognize the signs again. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd um, tell them where to go. <laughs> is, it, is it fair to say that, you know, because one of the things I keep hearing about, and, and I've seen this as well, is, you know, for, for the for the junior that, that wants to get into the gaming industry, it's it's like a dream job, right? Like, well, on paper, it's a dream job, right? If you if you break into the, the video game industry as a junior, it, it's you kind of, you know, riding on clouds, you're on top of the world. It, it, it's a euphoric feeling. It feels great to, to finally have, have gotten there. And, you know, what advice would you give to someone that's, wanting to get into the industry it doesn't have to be a junior but just someone that wants to get into the gaming industry and work at a game studio do you you have any any advice for them as far as you know your experiences yeah sure um bear in mind that they are relying on those stars in your eyes Mm -hmm. um into uh um into doing this um so yeah, they are relying on the fact that you've wanted to get into the game industry your whole life. You finally got your chance, and you're not going to mess it up. Um, so they they would absolutely push you to their limit, push you to your limits, and uh, milk you for everything you're worth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that extends outside the games industry. That's pretty much any any corporation you can think of um, would would probably do something like that. Um, I've got no concrete examples. Um, it's just how it feels to work under that kind of leadership. Yeah, and it, it does go back to just you know management again, doesn't it? I mean, they're they're taking advantage of you. They're um, you know, the salary may not be at, at the level that it should be at. All that kind of stuff, because you know, you've got a job as a as a video game developer. You're working for you know company X Y Z that that has shipped all these great games. I think there's definitely some some things that need to change there, absolutely. You know, it's a tricky one to raise as well, and it's very difficult to go to your manager and say, um, "I'm worth more than this." Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that, that that would get you put on some list somewhere, and you'd probably be <laughs> managed out down the road. Um, <laughs> I don't really have any concrete advice. That's really mm-hmm. really upsetting to sit here, having been through all this, and uh, how would I advise someone? I I don't know. Yeah, um, it depends who you work for. It depends on the uh, crunch culture they've got there. It depends on the management, uh, your relationship with your peers and your seniors. Um, there's a whole number of factors which determine how you could um, try and resolve crunch, um, or you know, being taken advantage of as a, a young junior. Um, it, it, it's on a case-by-case basis. It's, it's a really difficult thing to advise. Um, there are probably better people than me who could talk about that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. As we've kind of said, if more people speak out against it, then maybe it can bring about change. But like in the company you referenced, who did have this crunch culture perfectly set up, where everything was kept, you know, they tracked everything. If people did speak out against it publicly, would it have actually led to change or the company still probably have maintained that type of culture internally and they just would have probably kept a better eye on people to make sure the information wasn't becoming public or leaked? Because it seems like that's one of those situations where, oh, it's become public. We're going to put out a statement and said, oh, we're working on it, but we're going to go right back to it as long as 
as long as it's not continually put in the press. Yeah, again, they're relying on people to forget the day after mm-hmm. the news breaks. Um, I mean, look at CD Project Red. We're not doing mandatory overtime, and suddenly they're yep. doing mandatory overtime. There'll be a whole team of PR people trying to sweep this under the rug uh, and trying to make sure people forget about it the next week. Um, whether they are doing something about it in the background or, or not, I don't know. I don't even know any uh, CD Projekt Red employees. Um, but I would hazard a guess that the uh, benefactors of the country are trying to do everything they can to keep things running exactly how they were, um, mm-hmm. but change the uh, public perception of what's going on rather than fix the core problem. Fixing the core problem is going to cost them money, right? And that's that's a scary thing to think about. Is that it's really just about public perception? Is we can make ourselves look like the squeaky clean company, and it reminds me of kind of like the meat packing companies in North America, where you can go on a tour and they say, "Look, we're you know squeaky clean, everything runs so well," but they don't show you the slaughter room. They don't show you where some of the employees might be cutting off their hands accidentally and they just shuttle them out and they don't really care for the well-being of the worker. It's We're going to put out that nice little memo on Twitter. Everyone's going to say, oh, good, it looks like they're going to try. And the employees back in the office with their management or the publisher or shareholder saying, yeah, that's what they think is happening here, that you're working nine to five. You're working nine to nine today and you're going to work for the rest of the week this way. And that's just the way it is. We'll say anything publicly to make us look good, but we're not doing anything behind closed doors to actually improve the situation. Because as you said, it's all about money. And if it comes down to delaying the game six months, which it seems to be a misconception to people, like what we saw at CD Projekt Red, the common thing is many said, well, delay the game again. Delays don't remove crunch. I believe there's been studies done that have actually suggested a delay increases crunch time. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Um, yes, certainly. Uh, for mm-hmm. a lot of the delays I've experienced, all that does is extend the crunch time because um, they, they think they've been given some sort of golden egg um, mm-hmm. that's going to finally uh, fix development schedules and fix the game and, and, and get it released. Um, uh, but they squeeze everything they can out of that opportunity. Um, rather than let employees relax a little bit and take their time with it. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's... Um, it's kind of like um, uh, what you were talking about with uh, nobody wants to see how the meat's made. Right. Uh, so like companies from movies have, have kind of become real now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of my favorite examples is uh, if you look at Amazon, um, its logo is literally a smile. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's... <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't make that up. Um, I'm sure nobody's a stranger to what kind of things go on and go on at Amazon behind closed doors. Um, right. A lot of stories are now comes out, but it's just really strange when a packet shows up on a doorstep with this big orange smile on it. <laughs> uh, this would have been a movie plot 15 years ago. Yep, and I see that's one of the misconceptions that the public really have to. I guess understand and hopefully listening to this has will help them is that when people say oh delay the game that'll eliminate crunch time now you understand no it doesn't it increases crunch time the developers aren't getting a break it's just we're going to use the six months you guys are going to work even harder these six months we're going to take advantage of every second now and you know that's that's how it's going to go and 
it's it's actually really depressing to hear that. Yes, the game industry. It's sound as much a joy and smiles and happiness this industry can bring so many people behind the curtain it's it's not you know it's not the wizard of oz it's not it's not this colorful bright fun land it's kind of it sounds pretty grim yeah to put it you know to put it bluntly it's it's not mario land it's more like I can't even think of a game to describe it to. <laughs> yeah. It's reality. Yeah. Reality's I mean, grim. <laughs> when you talked about delaying delaying a game, say six months, it, yeah, I mean, you're right. There, there are some some studies that, that show that it doesn't doesn't help at all. It's it's because, you know, if you delay the game six months, it's because there's still scopes of work that need to be done and that means that you're still going to be very much behind the eight ball to get that game ready. So it's, it's, it's always, it's always interesting to hear that, you know, games get delayed, they get delayed, they get delayed, but it always still seems like they're up against it. I mean, how many times was cyberpunk delayed? I can't, I've lost count. It's been like at least three times. Right. And this was the last time. And then there were calls to delay it again. Um, But I feel like, this was it you know whoever whoever the stakeholders are or the shareholders or whoever is is the the you know the other party that's involved in this they've basically turned around and said no this game has to come out and that in turn went yeah. back to the studio heads and that in turn went back to the the developers at, at cd project red unfortunately and you bring up a good point there maybe matt can illuminate more on this is that when we see a game, and we'll use CD Projekt Red, Cyberpunk as the example, when we see a game get delayed once, twice, three times, is it the developer giving overly ambitious targets that they know they're not going to hit, but they want to please the publisher? Or is it the publisher mandating certain milestone goals that they want the developer to hit? And it's just to come back to this, you know, the shareholders of, we need that big release this fiscal year. Like, which of those three is the one making these release targets that have in pretty much no way actually are going to be achieved. Because if a game's delayed three times, that means the original release date was never going to be hit if you have to delay a game a year following that. It is all of those reasons. Um, I've seen all three. Wow. Um, it completely depends on the, the developer, the publisher, type of game, um, the uh, money involved, the timelines involved. Um, there's so many different factors affect that. Um, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen all three and combinations of all three of those. Wow. I mean, I'm glad we had this topic of discussion because it really does show how how deep the industry is and how many factors are at play when it comes into a delay. Just when it comes into the development how employees can be treated at the companies. And I mean, this is, this is how the meat is made. This is the side of the industry that the consumer doesn't hear about and doesn't see. And when you do hear about it, I mean, I can only speak for myself here, but I mean, I'd say this is pretty depressing. It is just, just bear in mind. Uh, these are the worst examples um, Right. that there are nice companies. Yeah. Like there yeah. Are excellent places in the games industry mm-hmm. to work. Like, um, like night dive and- studios, great company to work for. You're only going to hear about the extreme cases. That's a good point. That's right. what makes headlines. Bad, bad news does still. You're absolutely right. There, there are some some very good studios out there that 
that, mm-hmm. you know, give you the freedom, the flexibility and all the things that, that go along with that. Um, but yeah, it, it, I mean, Matt's right that there are definitely a lot of, you know, bad news stories that come out and, um, you know, it, it, it does make it seem like a, a bit of a wasteland of, 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 of different companies that are doing all the same things, but, um, there's definitely some good examples of some good, good, good studios to work for as well. I mean, and, and that's good to know that there are, you know, there are good studios out there. We know there's good studios out there. It's just like when we hear about these studios who do seem to be working, I'll use the term loosely, like evil. Yeah. It's just so depressing that because a lot of these companies are these bigger companies that the companies that tons of players are looking to for our next big release and they're the ones putting out the games you get excited about and then you hear that you know you're actually kind of a shitty company and i guess that goes for a lot of organizations as we kind of brought up earlier amazon we know they're not a great company and no company is our friend we all know that and i mean maybe we as the media maybe even us on the show we have to have some of those people who come from these better managed and better run development studios to say hey i go to work every day i love what i do i love this industry and but we still have to bring out these bad examples to say this is the worst of the worst we have to improve this Mm -hmm. so that they get to the good that these other companies have because there's no excuse to see businesses run this poorly there's no reason people are working in these types of conditions in this industry where their mental health is at risk or even their physical health is at risk with their marriages. This, this shouldn't be the case. Let's improve this. This isn't an agenda. Yeah. This is just, this is almost a humanitarian issue of let's make the industry better for everyone involved. I have a question for both of you guys. Um, this goes back to the CG project red story. So if, mm-hmm. so the, the timeline was that they came out, I don't remember exactly when, but Jason Schreier interviewed Adam Badowski and he said there would be no crunch. You know, they're, they're not crunching for The Witcher 3, uh, sorry, for Cyberpunk 2077. And that obviously was something that was, you know, found to be untrue. Hence the story that broke last week. Do you think that if CD Projekt Red didn't make that statement, and they were crunching on this game, do you think it would be a bigger story than it is? Or do you just think people roll their eyes and say, oh, look, they're just doing it again and, and you know, whatever. It's it's CD Projekt Red. We kind of come to expect it. Um, I think it would depend on the, the manner in which that information came to light, uh, precisely who was saying it. Yeah. Um, and probably quantity, the number of people saying it. Uh, some of the big stories that hit were things like Rockstar Games, where you had employees in their dozens talking about it, um, where there was some investigative, investigative work on the um, part of the um, press, um, digging into stories properly, thoroughly, uh, and trying to pull all this information out of it. Um, rather than it all being spurred off by um, a, a public and controlled um, release from the company's PR. Yeah. Um, those are two very different ways to get the news out, and you get very different results out of it. Um, there'd be different kinds of uproar, and people would think different things. Most developers can't even talk about this stuff. You know, like they obviously are, are bound by some NDA or, or some, some type of, you know, thing that they've <laughs> signed. 
where they can't they can't say anything on social media or, or anything like that which hey that's that's totally fine but you know it, it's very difficult sometimes to get i don't want to say the right story i mean these stories they kind of stink and they and they they get they come out so there's always these things that that that, that do happen but it's always something that you hear from from the media or or like you said matt from from pr and and, and whatnot but it's very very rare that we get you know the actual employees kind of take on, on this stuff unless it's through anonymous emails and, and whatnot yeah and i think it's kind of depressing that if an employee does leave a company and you know whatever nda they had signed has expired that if they do come out and they speak against the company they may have been employed by is that people dismiss it as just a spurned employee yeah or like a whistleblower or, or someone yeah yeah that a person's coming out because they're just mad about how things went and they have a personal vendetta against the company and it should never be viewed that way are there cases like that of course you're always going to have an individual who's mad at a former manager or something and they just want to come out and cause a problem but if you listen probably to 95 percent of these cases they're based on reality and if you could investigate it you'd find out that they're they're true and it is as you said these employees you can't talk about it. You're in that environment of this is what's happening. You signed this contract. You have to stay quiet. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. I mean, I know everyone in this, especially in this industry, they say we want more investigative journalism. It's very difficult in the game industry. There are contracts, there are barriers. And to get someone to talk to you isn't as simple as what we see in, like, I'll use the sports industry as an example. You will always find out about a trade, you know, a day or two days before it happens. The gaming industry is a lot more complex. It's, it does a lot more risk for an employee to come out and say, hey, I'm working at Rockstar. They're working us 15 hours a day for the last four months. There'd be plenty who want to say it, but it takes a lot of courage to actually step up and do it. Now we'll move into some of the Streamlab questions. <laughs> We had a $5.50 donation from Tired, who writes, With the announcement of Crucible being cancelled and Avengers player count dwindling, do you think the industry is starting to react to the oversaturation of live service games? P.S. Everyone go vote. Um, I Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, th- I think there is a little bit of oversaturation of live services games. I, I don't know. I mean, for me avengers wasn't something that i had played only because when i when i saw reviews or previews of the game it kind of looked like a bit of a broken mess to me you know it had had shades of anthem and i didn't really think it was particularly interesting i kind of felt like it would be something i may revisit if they fixed the game but i think you know live services they they have to bring something unique and interesting to the table for me to get interested in them, and maybe a lot of other people agree with that. Yeah, I would say Crucible, when it when they kind of did a soft launch, nobody really played it. Then they unreleased the game, and then they re-released it months later, and it still didn't seem to really gather any attention. Avengers has always been getting a mixed reception from the debut trailer, the beta up to release. So I don't I wouldn't say these two examples are being caused by oversaturation of live service games as much as these two product were just mediocre 
because yeah. live service games are still producing a ton of revenue for many companies. So I think these games are just a subpar effort and the community just wasn't willing to give them a chance. Now, Avengers could be a completely different game in a year. They could completely revamp it. They could add new content and it could become a big success. That's the thing with live service games. What they launch as and what they end as are always completely different product. So you really have to gauge what the Avengers would be, let's say summer 2021, compared to what it is now to say if it was due to oversaturation or if it was just a bad product. We then had a dollar donation from Jack E.G., who writes, Love the content. Do you think we will begin to see significantly less retail releases from Microsoft soon? The focus on Game Pass already seems to be affecting some games getting release, but how long before it affects them all? That's a good question because the medium which is coming out is not a physical release, right? There's no physical version of that. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, that's a good question. I, I, I'm um, very curious to see how it goes. I mean, I would suspect not. I mean, we'll use the medium just as the example. I mean, it's a blooper team game. I don't believe any of the blooper team products have had a retail release. Their previous games included things like Layers of Fear, so they've been mostly a digital only type of you know developer so that could be the case there um i mean microsoft's other published game for launch is a game everyone keeps forgetting about is gears tactics and that's just not a game that would probably have a great retail presence to begin with so we might see microsoft just pivot maybe to more to the digital games for smaller releases but i wouldn't suspect any bigger games from Microsoft's game studios would be getting a digital-only release. I believe Microsoft still sees value in retail. We then had a dollar donation from Bauer, who writes, MVG, on your MVP podcast, you had an episode called Just For Us, which, along with the similar Darknet Diaries episode, was one of the most gripping gaming stories I've ever heard. Please tell us more stories from your days in the scene. (laughs) Uh, I'll revisit my my podcast at some point. Um, I'll I'll definitely uh, come up with with some new stuff for you there. But uh, it's kind of on hiatus right now because I, I just do a million things and I don't have the time. But um, good 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 feedback and I appreciate the uh, the kind words and I'll see what I can do for you there. We then had a three dollar donation from Ends Marty, who writes: This show should be called Nate the Great. A huge thanks to you and MVG. You're a fantastic partnership, providing fun and insightful gaming analysis. You've also been good company on my walks to help escape the realities of COVID. Much love. Thank you. And that will do it for today's episode of Nate the Hate. I want to thank our special guest, Matthew Phillips, for joining us today and giving his take on the industry and crunch within the industry. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute delight talking with you. And I'd like to thank MVG for joining me as always. Thanks for having me on, Nate. And Matt, just one quick question. Are you doing anything um, for the Mega Drive um, after Tanglewood? Is there anything that's uh, in the works at the moment? Yeah, I certainly am. Awesome. Uh, Since Tanglewood, I've been uh, rewriting the engine from scratch, um, taking what I've learned from the first game and just uh, making it all better. Um, it's likely going to be uh, some kind of hybrid shooter RPG uh, with a lot of Sonic-style physics elements Ooh. to it. So yeah, I'll uh, 
let you know when I've got something to show. Sounds awesome. Can't wait. Exciting. Exciting. And you can find a link to MVG's YouTube channel and Twitter in the description below, as, lo as well as Matt's Twitter handle in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the YouTube description. You can donate as little as a dollar, ask us a question, we will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. And let us know your thoughts on the on today's topic in the comment section below. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate. <laughs>